These two questions may be simple, but they shape who we are. And those questions are, who are you and who is Jesus? Jesus calls us as the church to be changed and to influence change around us. We're in the series going through the gospel of Matthew, and Jesus has been teaching us and He has been showing us what it means and what it looks like to live in the kingdom of heaven. What it means and looks like to live under God's authority. What it looks like to live on earth as it is in heaven. He's teaching us how to be salt and light. We saw that that starts with repentance. And then last week we saw how Jesus faced and overcame temptation. He knew and used God's word, and we learned that we too need to grow by studying the Bible together, and that together is important, right? We need each other. We are better together. Well, today, Jesus is going to invite us to come and follow him, and we're going to learn that the invitation that Jesus gives us is also the definition of what it means to follow him. Jesus will invite us with these words. He will say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How many of you have ever had somebody give you directions somewhere, right? Maybe they've told you, you turn left here and turn right there, and there's three stop signs on the right, you know, you you follow all these directions, and it usually ends up with, you can't miss it, right? (laughs) That was my dad. That's how he gave directions. When we would go uh, down the country, that's what we would say when we go down to Pamlico County where my family lives, and Christopher, uh, my cousin Christopher, where his family was, the way that we would get there was on 33, there used to be about five Pepsi signs. How many of you guys remember those Pepsi signs? Anybody? Joel remembers them. Me and Joel, that's it, all right? Those were our directions, and it was hard when those Pepsi signs were gone because we would go to the fifth Pepsi sign and turn right to go to Alliance, okay? And uh, if you've ever been down that way, there's nothing else to tell you where to go, okay? (laughs) There's woods and and deer and uh, PCS, and that's it, right? Um, But uh, there's nothing else down there. But that's how Dad gave directions. There weren't too many places on the eastern seaboard from Florida up to New York, that dad couldn't take you to. He knew how to get there. He drove a truck for a while, even when he was in Florida, where he was born and raised. And there weren't too many places that he couldn't take you to. But his directions were a little crazy, right? There was one time that my brother Richard and I needed directions to a camp in Virginia. And so we said, hey, dad, how do you get to this camp in Virginia? And his directions, no joke, included driving through the McDonald's parking lot in Suffolk, Virginia. Okay. So needless to say, uh, me and Richard looked up the directions online and printed out. GPS was around, but it was really expensive, and it was before everybody had Google Maps on their phone, right? So we looked them up, uh, we printed them out. But you know what? As we were driving through Suffolk, Virginia, Dad was exactly right. It would have been better for us to drive through that parking lot and turn that way if we had just understood what he was trying to tell us and understood his directions. You know, it can be frustrating trying to listen to verbal directions, But when you actually follow somebody, it's a lot easier, right? Today, Jesus is going to start with an invitation and lay out what it looks like to follow him to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and for us too, and what it means to follow him. 
But Jesus tells us that before we come and follow him, we better count the cost because it is hard work following Jesus. It is far from easy. To follow Jesus means that we must die to ourselves and to our sin. But Jesus tells us this, if we will come and follow him, he promises that he will change us and that he will give us a new job, a new mission. Jesus invites us by saying, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If we take Jesus, Jesus up on his invite, we can become who we were meant to be. We can become salt and light. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to the book of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. Uh, we'd love to give you one. Please take one as a gift from us. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. If you're looking for Matthew, it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. It's the first book of the New Testament. About two-thirds of the way through, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Matthew is not only the first book of the New Testament, but it's also the first book of four that we call the Gospels. And that means good news, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us the good news about Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. If you don't have your Bibles, we're going to have it up here on the screen as well. Read along with me. Verse 12 says this. When Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he withdrew to Galilee. And then skip down to verse 17. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Let's pause there for just a moment. So John's work was done. He had come to prepare the way for Jesus. John said that he must become less so that Jesus could become more. John's message was to plead with the people of Israel to repent of their sins and return to God because the kingdom of heaven was near. Well, Jesus continues that same message. What did it say that he preached? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. But Jesus is also going to be the one who will usher in this new kingdom. John had prepared the way for the king of kings, and now the king of kings was going to go about his work of setting up his kingdom. He was going to invite new followers to follow him. He's going to show that he is from God the Father and show his authority by, by calming the seas, by healing diseases, by casting out demons, by feeding thousands of people, and so much more, including his own resurrection after being dead for three days. King Jesus is going to teach us, and he's going to show us how we are to live in his kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven, what it looks like to be salt and light. So let's look here at these first followers that Jesus invites to follow him. Look at verse 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting their nets into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Let's pause there for just a moment. 
Jim Putman writes in his book, Real Life Discipleship, a book that I will reference quite a bit this morning because he writes on these very verses of Scripture. He says, in those days, it was a big deal for to, to be a disciple of a rabbi. And a rabbi means a teacher. Okay, That was a big deal for the Jewish people. And he says, I'm sure that these men were honored that a teacher would have asked these lowly fishermen to be his disciples. John the Baptist had already identified Jesus as the coming Messiah. And so this invitation to be a disciple of of Jesus must have been extremely exciting for them. As Jews, disciples or followers knew about the promised Messiah who would save Israel. Now, living in an occupied land, Jews of the first century interpreted these promises to mean, uh, uh, from their Hebrew scriptures, to mean primarily that the Messiah would save them from those who had politically conquered them, namely the Romans at that time. But this was not all that the Messiah was to do. First century Jews also believed that the Messiah would not just set them free from this occupation, but also would replace their political uh, control as the new king. He would set up an earthly kingdom, and the nations of the world would bow before him. He he wouldn't just come and, and set Israel free from an enemy. The Messiah would lead in a new and wonderful kingdom. He was to be not only a savior, but the king. And these seemingly unqualified guys have just been asked to be in his inner circle. Peter and Andrew were fishermen. And much like fishermen today, these guys were, uh, needless to say, rough around the edges. I mean, and you have to be to have a career as a fisherman. Somebody who relies solely on the weather, on being able to catch fish, and being able to sell them, right? You take one of those things by itself, and that's going to harden you as a person, right? If you have to rely on the weather for an income, right, or or rely on to be able to catch fish and be able to sell them, that's going to make you a pretty rough guy, right? And, And Peter shows this in his life, right? Peter always spoke before he thought. He always put his foot in his mouth. Later, Jesus will call Peter Satan, not a friendly term of affection, I can tell you, all right? And tells him to get behind him. Peter will deny even knowing Jesus almost moments after he arrogantly told Jesus that he was a ride-or-die friend. He'd say, I don't even know the guy. In a time that Jesus needed him most. Unqualified? That's putting it nicely. Jesus invites Peter and Andrew to come and follow him. But I want you to notice how Peter and Andrew respond to this invitation. What do they do? They say, well, Jesus, thank you. I got these nets and these fish. I got to go take them home. Let me get the nets put up. Uh, Let me get the fish sold. I got some things. I got this and that I need to take care of. And then once all that's done, I'll come and follow you. That's not what they did, is it? Jesus says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they'd leave their nets and they follow. Were they perfect? Nope. Did they have it all together? Certainly not. And we will see that over the next couple of weeks. Did they fully even know what it meant to follow Jesus? No. 
but they had some basic understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. They had heard John testify to it. The other gospels tell us that Peter and, and James and John and Andrew had actually seen Jesus provide this miraculous catch of fish, and then Peter himself would, would see Jesus heal his mother-in-law. So they had some basic understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. But these unqualified, ordinary, broken, sinful, arrogant dudes are called by Jesus. And Jesus is willing to take them as they are and make them fishers of men or fishers of people. If, he would come, if they would come and follow him. James and John are pretty similar. Look at the next verse in verse 21. It says, going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets with, uh, excuse me, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. So we see these two other brothers, and maybe these guys are going to be a little less rough than Andrew and Peter were, Right? I mean, Peter's pretty rough. Maybe these guys would be a little bit better. Well, we learned from the other Gospels that they weren't. (laughs) In fact, James and John were so selfish and so self-centered that all they were concerned about was having seats of authority in the kingdom of heaven. They wanted to sit on the left and the right of Jesus. James and John had such a short temper that when they went to a city that rejected Jesus, they wanted to call down fire from heaven and wipe the city off the map. Rough is an understatement. But Jesus invited them to come and follow. And Peter and James and John would become Jesus' closest followers, his inner circle. They would become leaders of the church, leaders of the kingdom of heaven. And when, when Jesus invites them to come and follow, they leave their nets and their boats, and their father, and like Peter and Andrew, they leave everything that they had ever known, and they come, and they follow Jesus. No excuses, no but let me go. They leave everything, and they come and follow. Friends, Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Jesus takes us just as we are, and he changes us. And that's what he promises to do. If we will come and follow, he will make, he will change us into fishers of men. He will transform our beliefs and our attitudes and our actions. He will change us head, heart, and hands. He will make us into fishers of men. Jesus takes broken, rough, arrogant, ordinary, sinful people just like you and just like me, and he uses us for his glory. Peter will become the first person to preach about Jesus after his death and resurrection. He will preach and lead 3,000 people to make Jesus their Lord and Savior and repent and be baptized. These four, along with nine other guys, will be transformed into the fathers of the church, the apostles. 
Jesus will take these men who accept his invitation to come and to follow him, and he will do just as he said. He will make them fishers of men. But Jesus had his work cut out, just like he does with us. Just like he does with us. After Jesus' death and his resurrection, Peter and John, in fact, will go into the temple one day and heal a lame man in the name of Jesus and then preach to the crowd that was there in the name of Jesus, and they are arrested. Peter, who had denied even knowing Jesus, and John, who had such a short temper that he wanted to destroy a whole city, Peter and John were arrested, and they boldly preached the good news about Jesus to the very men who had Jesus killed. And I want you to listen to Peter's words to them. And then I want you to notice what those religious leaders saw about Peter and John. In Acts chapter 4, verse 10, Peter says this, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And then listen to what the religious leaders saw about Peter and John. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter, whom Jesus called Satan. Peter, who denied even knowing Jesus when Jesus needed him most. John, who wanted to destroy a whole city just because he was upset. Who wanted to be first in the kingdom of God. Peter and John boldly tell the ones who had had Jesus killed that not only was Jesus raised from the dead, but he was the Messiah that all of Israel had been looking for. And not only had this man been healed in his name, but salvation is only found in the name of Jesus. So what's the difference in Peter and John from Matthew 4 to Acts 4? What was different about Peter and John from Matthew 4 and in Acts chapter 4? What had changed? Well, the religious leader saw that they were still unschooled and ordinary men, right? So that hadn't changed. <laughs> but what did they notice about them? They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Not only had they been with Jesus, but now they were also filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They followed Jesus, and Jesus changed them into fishers of men. He changed their beliefs, and their attitudes, and their actions. And this is just what Jesus does. Jesus takes those things that are broken, those things that are rough, those things that are arrogant, those things that are ordinary, those things that are sinful, those things that are unschooled and unqualified, and he makes them fishers of men. He uses them to bring glory to God the Father. And friends, I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. Because like me, then you probably think, man, I'm too broken for God to use me for his glory. And I'm too sinful and I've done too much wrong for God to ever be able to use me 
to bring glory to him. Or I need to clean myself up before God can use me. Or maybe you think like I do sometimes that, man, I don't know enough to follow Jesus, let alone to be used by Jesus. Friends, there's no way that God could use me. I want you to listen to what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, brothers and sisters, in verse 26, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Friends, we could spend all day, all week long going through Scripture and seeing these words of Paul lived out in people's lives. Over and over again, this is how God works. He uses broken and ordinary and sinful people just like you and me for his glory. Abraham was an impatient liar who didn't trust in God, whom God would use to become the father of his chosen people, Israel. Joseph was an arrogant little punk who used to, was used by God to rescue his brothers who had sold them into slavery. Moses was a murderer with no self-confidence whom God used to display his power to Pharaoh and to lead his people through the wilderness and out of slavery. And oh, he was 80 years old when God called him to do it. David was a murdering adulterer and a horrible father whom God said, this is a man after my own heart. Peter and James and John and Andrew were in good company. And there's so much more. Jim Putman says, and I've shared this quote many of times, that's why we need to have an accurate understanding of who we are. We are sinners saved by grace. We are tools in the hands of the master. God loves to use broken people because that's all that he has to deal with. And then he gets the glory. We can be used in mighty ways because of his strength and because of the gifts that he has given us. Friends, God loves to use broken, foolish, ordinary people like me because that's all that God has to work with. And then he gets all the glory. So if Jesus can use Peter and Andrew, and James, and John, and if Jesus can use me, then friends, Jesus can use you. Now we said in the opening that the invitation of Jesus was also the definition of what it means to follow him. And so let's go back and look at the invitation that Jesus gives Peter. And I, I like the way that the uh, English Standard Version translates verse 19 of Matthew 4. And it says this, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's take a little bit closer look at that, what that means, all right? So first, Jesus invites us to follow him. 
A, a follower of Jesus is a disciple of Jesus. That means the same thing, right? So if we are a disciple of Jesus, we are a follower of Jesus. And, and to be a disciple of Jesus means to follow him, right? Peter, Andrew, James, and John, we will learn from the other gospels, had, had, had some idea that Jesus was the Messiah. John had testified to it, and they had heard John's testimony. They had seen him perform some miracles. He had this miraculous uh, catch that, that, that came uh, when they had been fishing all night long and they hadn't caught anything. And, and then, like I said, Peter even saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law. So they, they knew to at least some part that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, over the next three years, they're going to learn so much more what they meant. But they at least had some sort of idea of what it meant that Jesus was the Messiah. Jim Putman says, so the disciples were the first changed at the head level, meaning they knew who Jesus was, at least to some degree. And when they made the decision to follow him, and those who really were his disciples then chose to make him their authority. Again, to be changed at the head level means to know who Jesus is, and to accept him as our head or as our authority. And friends, the same is true for us today, just as it was for Peter and Andrew and James and John. When we accept Jesus' invitation to follow him, he begins to change our minds and our beliefs and our head. Here at Journey Church, we put it this way. We said that we want to help everyone discover their relationship with Jesus. We want to help everyone, including you, discover what we have discovered, our relationship with Jesus. And to do that, it starts with knowing who Jesus is. Friends, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, the one that was promised to come and save. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And Jesus lived a perfect life. And then he died a death that you and I deserve. Scripture tells us that he who had no sin became sin for us. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, died to take your place and to take mine. But he didn't stay that way. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And God has made him both Messiah and Lord. And Jesus is calling you to turn away from your sins and to repent and to be joined with him in his death so that you can be joined with him in his resurrection. The Bible tells us that we do that when we are baptized into Jesus. We are joined with him in his death so that we can be joined with him in his resurrection. This is who Jesus is. And so if we are going to accept his invitation to come and follow him, then we must know who he is, at least to some extent. Will you grow? Of course you will. You are like newborn babes. It's a starting point. Hopefully in 10 years, you'll know even more who Jesus is. Hopefully in 20 years, you'll know even more of who Jesus is. It's a starting point though. He is the Son of God, and he died and rose from the grave to save you from your sins. This is who Jesus is. If we take Jesus up on his invitation, it's an invitation not only to make him our Savior, but also to make him our authority, to make him our boss, to make him our Lord. 
It starts in our minds to believe in Jesus and to acknowledge who Jesus is. But Jesus cannot be our Savior without also being our Lord. You can't have one without the other, though we try. We want Jesus to save us from our sins, but we don't want to give him the authority of our life as boss. But he's both. It's not one or the other. It's, it's both and. He is our Lord and our Savior. A disciple of Jesus is one who follows Jesus. And to follow Jesus is to submit ourselves to his authority. And when we accept this truth at the head level, it then moves to the second part of the definition. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you. Right? A follower of Jesus is not only being transformed in our minds, but is also being transformed in our hearts. It's being changed by Jesus. He changes not only our beliefs, but our attitudes. He changes our hearts. And friends, if we are going to follow Jesus, then we have to know Jesus, and we have to allow Jesus to change us. He will make us. Now, sometimes I, I think that we think somehow that we have to change in order to come to Jesus. Right? But it's reversed. We come and follow Jesus, and then he changes us. Right? And besides that, if we could have changed on our own, we would have done it already. And we can't. Jesus takes us as we are, but he doesn't leave us that way. He changes us. He transforms us. Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 1, he says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Okay, so since we have, have, have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have been raised with him through baptism, right? He says this, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So Paul tells us to set our, our hearts and our minds on Jesus. We accept who Jesus is as the Messiah at our head. We, he changes our beliefs, and then he also changes our heart. He changes our attitudes. Jesus begins to change and transforms us. Now, friends, this change is not easy. This change hurts. In fact, the Bible calls it death because that's what it is. We are dying to ourself and dying to sin so that we can truly live. Paul continues in Colossians 3, verse 5, and says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature. And then he goes on to list those things, right? Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And all those other people used to walk in those ways. That's not what it says, is it? You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived. But now you must rid yourself, put to death, rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Paul, hold on a minute. <laughs> I could agree with the first ones, but these second ones, you're stepping on my toes a little bit, right? Since you have taken off the old self and his practices. Paul says, put to death, to rid yourself, take off the old practices. Just like Peter and Andrew and James and John had to walk away from their nets, friends, we too must walk away 
from our old way of life. We die to that. We rid ourselves of that. We take off the old self. We leave our nets on the shore and we follow Jesus. So put to death the things that belong to the flesh, that belong to the earthly nature, that belong to sin. Rid yourself of them. Take them off. Die to them. Leave your nets and follow Jesus. Jesus invites us to follow him. And when we follow Jesus because we know who he is, he will start to change us. He will start to transform our beliefs and our attitudes, and that will lead us to have our actions changed. He changes our heads and our hearts and our hands. Now, sometimes as the church, we have tried to mix this up a little bit, right? We try to focus on changing people's hands and their actions, right? But that's not how God works. He, he changes our attitudes, our beliefs, and our attitudes, our, our minds and our hearts. And when our minds and our hearts are transformed by who Jesus is, then our actions will follow. If we just change our actions and we don't change our hearts or our minds, then we'll find ourselves like the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' day. And we will be worshiping God with our lips, but our hearts will be far from him. We'll be offering sacrifices and showing up on Sunday morning and, and doing this and that, but we won't be true followers of Jesus. It starts in our minds, moves to our hearts, and then changes our hands. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new, or the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Friends, when we follow Jesus, he transforms our minds and our hearts and our, our hands. He transforms our beliefs and our attitudes and our actions. We are new. The old is gone and the new is here. Here at Journey Church, we put it this way. We say that every day we joyfully give God the best of everything that we are and everything that we have. We trust that Jesus is all that we need and we are transformed. We are changed by who he is and what he's done. Friends, Jesus invites us to come and follow him and he will change us. He will make us fishers of men. If we accept Jesus' invite, not only will we follow him, but he will change us and he'll give us a new job. He'll give us a ministry, as Paul says, of reconciliation. We become his ambassadors. We become God's co-workers. We become fishers of men. A follower of Jesus knows and follows Jesus a follower of Jesus is being changed by Jesus. A follower of Jesus is also committed to the mission of Jesus. And the mission of Jesus has always been and always will be people. That's the mission of Jesus. Fishers of men. Fishers of people. You see, when we follow Jesus, not only are we changed, but then God uses us to change other people. It's helping everyone discover their relationship with Jesus. Friends, here's the reality. 
The people that we know and love who don't know Jesus are lost for eternity unless they accept and follow Jesus not only as their Savior, but as their Lord. There's only two categories of people, the saved and the unsaved, the lost and the found. And friends, when we know and follow Jesus, we see other people differently, not out of judgment for them, but instead out of love for them, wanting them to discover the same things that we have discovered, our relationship with Jesus. We long to see them restored to God through Jesus as we have been. And we get to take part in that mission. We get to be Jesus' hands in service to his kingdom. We, we give him our hands and our abilities and our gifts and our skills to the mission of Jesus to save the world. Every day, we joyfully give God the best of everything that we are and everything that we have. Friends, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, is one who follows Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is one who is changed by Jesus. And a disciple of Jesus is one who is committed to the mission of Jesus. Jesus invites you to come and follow him. And if you accept his invitation, he will change you and give you a new job. He will make you fishers of men. But the question that you have to answer is, will you leave your nets and follow him? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the example that Peter, Andrew, James, and John have given us They didn't question, they didn't give excuses, they just dropped everything and they followed you. And Father, we think because we don't have nets that uh, we're better off. But Father, we stay entangled in so much other things. The sin that we haven't put to death, that we haven't ridded ourselves of, that we haven't taken off. So Father, if there are those of us who are here this morning who have accepted your invitation but, but haven't rid ourselves of those things, Father, would you convict us to repent this morning and help us to leave those nets right there. Father, if there are those that are here who are hearing your invitation for the first time, would you call them to yourself today? Would you call them to come and follow you Even if they don't fully know what that means, Father, would you call them to die to their old self so that they can truly live? Father, would you ignite in us the mission that you have given us to be your fisher of men, your fisher of people? Father, would you use us in our homes and in our neighborhoods, and in our workplaces, and at the ball fields, and at the gym. Father, would you use us as your witnesses, as your missionaries, as your ambassadors, as your co-workers, that we, like John, would plead with those that we love and care for to repent. For your kingdom has already come, and your son one day will return. So, Father, would you use us as your witnesses in the places that we'll be? We thank you for your son, Jesus, and we ask all of this in his name. Amen.
Friends, we are going to move into our time of commitment and communion and prayer. If you're here and you're ready to leave your nets and follow Jesus, and you're ready to to be joined with him in baptism, I would love to have that conversation with you today. I'm going to be out in the lobby. Come and let's talk. If you are a follower of Jesus, we uh, are going to, we ask that you would join us in this time of communion. And Jesus, you know, the night that he was getting ready to go to the cross, he, he wanted to explain what his death was, was going to mean. And, and Jesus doesn't give his disciples theory, he gives them a meal. And he says, take this bread, and, and this is going to remind you of my body. And he takes this cup and he says, this is going to remind you of my blood that is poured out for you and, and starting this new covenant. And, and we've been given the same meal to remember who Jesus is, and what he has done for us. We remember his sacrifice on the cross. So take this time. Maybe you've got some nets that you've been holding on to. Use this time to confess those to God and lay those down at his feet. And then when you're ready, let's remember and proclaim together the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, the King of Kings, Jesus. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'm going to be out in the lobby. I'd love to pray with you today. When you're ready, let's protect together.